Well, thank you, praise team, for sharing that music with us, especially that last song, Oh, the Overwhelming Love of God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we go back now for the third and final time into Luke chapter 15 as we talk about the story of the prodigal. Now, uh, there I think are maybe a few folk here uh, that uh, have been absent the last couple of weeks. So let me just tell you when we put up on the screen here that I've been using a picture painted by Rembrandt to kind of walk our way through the story of the prodigal son. This is a, a, a painting that he did late in life, and it's a painting that a, a Bible scholar, teacher, by the name of Henry Nouwen uh, became enamored with, and literally enamored with. He went to the uh, art museum in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, and sat in front of this painting for a total of like seven hours, just stared at that painting, and it impressed him deeply, and it moved him to write a book called The Homecoming, and I've been kind of using uh, some of the things that he has said in that book uh, to share with you the story of, of the prodigal son. And as we work our way through this, I want to remind you that the painting that you see here is, uh, in fact, an uh, interpretation by Rembrandt of uh, the events in Luke 15. Well, we've talked about the prodigal. We've talked about, last week, the elder brother. And today, we want to talk about the father. And I want to I read Luke 15, verses 20 to 24. I'm reading in Luke 15... 20 to 24. So the prodigal got up and went to his father. But while he was a, still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to party, uh, celebrate. What a great moment that must have been for the father. Now, one of the things as we go, yes, take another look here at this picture, is that uh, art critics tell us, and I mentioned this in our first look at this painting, but art critics tell us that when you look at the face of the son and you look at the face of the elder brother and when you look at the face of the father... All of those are self-portraits of Rembrandt. And they know that because he did a lot of self-portraits, kind of like the selfie with your phone, you know? And so they, they looked at that and they said, oh, wait, that looks like a picture he painted of himself when he was young, and oh, wait, that looks like a picture he painted of himself when he was middle-aged 
And oh wait, that looks like a picture of himself when he was an old man. And we know he painted this picture two years before he died. Henry Nouwen suggests that maybe the hidden message in the painting and maybe the hidden message in the entire story is, is that as we go through our spiritual journey, that we ought to become the Father. I mean, it's easy to see that we start out as the prodigal. I mean, we're, you know, we're lost, and we come to our senses, and that's why you're here today. You came to your senses. And so we start out our spiritual journey being, you know, prodigals. And then there's the temptation to become the elder brother, and we talked about that last week. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But then there's the idea of the father, and and what Nowen is suggesting, that Rembrandt was suggesting, is that we all need to get to, to the place in our spiritual journey where we each become the father and express love to those that are around us. Now, if you weren't here last week, let me just say I, I made kind of an impassioned plea that we not become like the elder brother. I mean, the elder brother, in some ways, at least in my own brain, represents uh, church folk who they've always been home, or they've been home, or they've been in the church a long, long time, and they have this attitude, what about me? That in the church, when we start to look at the prodigals that show up, it's like, hey, what about me? I've been in church a long time. I gave money to the church. I paid for the carpet. What about me? What? You spent, you spent $2,000 on an outreach event? We could have used that money to buy a new cappuccino machine for the foyer. You know, what, what, about, what about us? And if you were here last week, I, I gave a couple of quick illustrations that have just boggled my mind as I think back across the years in ministry. You know, like, like this one treasurer who said to me, uh, you know, we've operated in the red for several months. And then she said, I guess we're going to have to reach new people. <laughs> just blew my mind. And then last week I shared the story with you, and this is for those of you that weren't here last week, of the young man in my church that got a burden for uh, this low-income trailer, the people in this low-income trailer park, and saw all these kids running around, and so he wanted permission to use the church van to go out there and pick up these kids and bring these kids into the church. And, and somebody in, in the leadership team said, we need to do an ROI study. We need to do a return on investment study. As if to imply that the church is so strapped we can't spend 20 bucks to put gas in the van. We'll just let those kids just... Just blew my mind. That's, that's the, the mindset of the elder brother. Now, I don't, think, I don't think anybody here looks out and says, oh, these unchurched folk, these people that don't know that there, is, that there is a God that loves them, I don't think anybody here would say, well, let's just ignore them. I, I don't mean that. I, I, I think 
way, way more highly of you than that. But I think we all would have this question, perhaps. And really, the million-dollar question is, is this, how do we do that? Hmm? I mean, how do we reach people that won't come to church? How do we reach people that don't know there's a God that loves them? In fact, they think he's the God of the baseball bat. Or maybe, how do we reach people that don't even believe there's a God that exists? How in the world do we do that? I said uh, a couple weeks ago that I, my ministry grew up in the church growth movement. And, you know, just this, this idea that we can just program everything. And one of the ways back in those days that we answered this question, how do we reach people that don't know that there's a God that loves them, is that we're going to memorize a script. And then when we talk to people about church or about God, we're going to launch into the memorized script as though we're actors in a play. Hope I don't forget my lines, you know. And at the very, at the very end of that script, you were taught to memorize the clothes. Because after all, you're a salesperson in this approach, you know. And every salesperson has to have a strong close. you got to know how to close the sale, close the deal. And so here's how we were taught, at least by this one method, to close the sale. It was like you, you asked this question. If you were to die tonight and you stood at heaven's gate and God appeared to you and said, why should I let you into my kingdom? What would you say? I mean, that's the close. That's the, you, if you forget everything else in the script, don't forget that script. And, and then when you ask them, you know, you stand there, with you, and what would you say? You listen closely because you know they're going to get it wrong. And you're going to school them on what is the right way to say. Because sure, surely they don't have a clue. And so that, that's, that's how we did it back in those days. And there were, uh, there were programs that Every, every pastor could buy, and there were seminars that, that people could go to all the time, and you would sit at the feet of these pastors that had these big churches because they knew how to do it. And then after the seminar, you could go to the table that was always set up in the, in the foyer. I like that word. <laughs> foyer. And you could go to the product table. And you can plunk down $59.99 and buy the three-ring binder deluxe kit. And you take that home and then you do a training session at your church and teach and program and teach all these people on how to reach the lost. Well, that sounded really, really good, but the truth of the matter is it didn't work very well. Hardly worked at all. One of the things that I've learned from the church growth movement is that if you're going to reach the lost, you can't do it with a program or a script. The way you reach the lost is that you care and love them deeply. That's, 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 how, that's how you do it. 
You care and love people deeply. I remember many years ago, in another lifetime, I haven't always been a pastor. It's been a couple of years working in the business field. I had a job at a, at a factory, and I worked in the office, and I did cost estimating and quality control, you know. And uh, it, was, it was in a small town that was economically depressed. Uh, we didn't pay our work, factory workers very much. And it was just kind of an armpit place to work. And I remember one Monday morning, I, I'm at work, and it's still dark outside, it's chilly outside, it's raining outside, and I had to go out into the factory to check on some parts or something. And I walk down, down the uh, corridor there, and I turn the corner, and I'm just, I'm just happy. In fact, I think I'm whistling. And I'm even smiling. It's Monday morning, for crying out loud. And I'm smiling. And I turn the corner, and right in front of me is Rick. And he's just standing there. I, I, if I wasn't you know, going a, a little bit slower, I could have just run him over. But he's right there, and he looks at me. And he gets up my face, and he goes, What makes you so happy? And I said, do you really want to know? And he said, yes, I really want to know. I said, okay. I said, I'm happy this morning because I know God loves me and he's forgiven me of my sins and he's made me a different person. Now, this is where it gets a little strange, almost like a Twilight Zone kind of thing for me. <laughs> and I'm being really serious. I've never seen this before or after. But in that moment when I said those words, and again, he's like right here, unshaven. And I could tell, by the way, I could tell that he'd been partying that weekend. He's got a hangover. His eyes are slitty. He's struggling just to put one foot in front of the other. And when I said what I just told you, all of a sudden, it's like his eyes opened up and I saw deep inside of his heart. I don't know if I saw his soul. I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't. Words fail me to tell you what I saw. It was almost like, I don't know, any Lord of the Rings fans here? It was almost like I was looking at the worst version of Schmeagol that you could ever see. I mean, he was, it was like he was naked. It's like he was shriveled up. And it's just like there, the, wall, the wall just fell away. And I could see down inside of the man that he was hopeless. He was helpless. He was almost ready to give up. He, he, he was struggling, struggling deeply. And God put me in front of that man. I've never forgotten what that's like to look deep down inside the heart of a man who doesn't know that there's a God that loves him. So then, like that, the wall went back up 
on his face. And he said, huh. And he turned and walked away into the darkness down the hall. But I've never forgotten that. And I, 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 I don't want to forget it because when I'm out and about, I, I, I want to remember that the people that I encounter might just be like Rick. That down on the inside, they're struggling. Down on the inside, they're about ready to give up. Down on the inside, they don't know that God loves them. I don't ever want to forget that. And down across the years, when I've wanted to give up, I've remembered that. I remember what I've seen, and it motivates me. It motivates me to, to love people and have a concern for the lost. I really think that's where, where it starts. You know, when we talk about reaching people, it doesn't start with them. It starts with you. It starts, starts with me. And, and, and we can't really get a, a burden or a passion for the, those folk out, that are outside as long as we're inside doing this. It, 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 just, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Now, I'm, I'm gaining new insights, I think, on this whole story of the, of the parable of the lost prodigal. And it's, it's the important uh, message of posture. And so again, if you want to look at the picture here, and notice the posture of the prodigal son. He's broken. He's kneeling down. And notice the posture of the elder brother, and we talked about this a lot, you know, with these arms like this, positioned high and lifted up, looking down at the prodigal, down his nose at the prodigal. He doesn't really approve of what's going on. But notice the posture of the father. I mean, the father isn't like this. He's like this. The, the, the posture of the, of the Father tells us something that really transcends words. It's as though the hands of the Father are the hands of God. And when He reaches down and touches the shoulders of that rebellious son of His, it's like He's bringing forgiveness to Him. And in fact, He is. Touching with the, with the hands of God. Every time I go to a new city with a new past, long-term pastor assignment, I have a really important thing on my agenda to accomplish. And it's to find the best coffee shop in town. And when I went to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, that was high on my agenda, and I... Looked and drank and looked and drank, and I found my favorite coffee shop. It's called the Grumpy Monkey. <laughs> and I love that place. And one of the things I loved about that place is that it, it was open. It opened really early. It opened at 5 in the morning. And I would be there quite often at 5 in the morning. And, man, nobody there, you know. You, 
just study, read, you know, whatever you want to do. And so uh, I'd go there three or four times a week, early in the morning. I was there one morning, and there were, uh, when, I, when I sat down, it, the place was empty, but two young men came in, and they sat close to me because there was an area where there were soft chairs, you know, the leather chairs and leather couch and all that. So they sat over there and, and uh, tried not to listen to them, but they were young businessmen talking about some project they had going. And pretty soon we began to talk back and forth, back and forth. And uh, one, of the, one of the guys said this, you know, we need to go in a minute, but I feel like I should ask you this question. Is there anything we can pray for you with and about right now? Now, that may not sound like an odd question to you because you're like, well, you're, you're a preacher. I didn't tell them I was a preacher. In fact, I, I never tell people I'm a preacher unless I have to because I like to, like, go in sneak attack under the radar, you know. So I never introduced myself as Pastor Randy, <laughs> you know. And so, so I did, they had no idea I was a pastor. None. Is there anything we can pray for you about before we leave? And it just so happened, because of the time, the time change, it just so happened that at that exact moment, someone that is very near and dear to my heart, a family member, was going through a surgical procedure back home, and it potentially could have revealed some really bad things. And I, and I said, yeah, you can pray for me. And I told them about my burden that morning, that moment. And one of them said, hey, let's just hold hands. So we sat there on the leather couch and love seat there at the Grumpy Monkey holding hands, and they prayed for me. They touched me. They reached out and prayed for me. And I just want to suggest to you that here they are. They're, it's, they're being God the Father in that moment to reach out in love and concern and in, 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 that, in that caring, caring moment. They touch with the love of the Father. So here's the idea. That if we're going to reach people outside the walls of this church, we've got to become the Father. Regardless of your age. Regardless of your sex. You become the walking, breathing, talking embodiment of God the Father. You say, well, how can I do that? Christ in you. Shouldn't be all that hard. Now, I'm going to show you exactly how to do it. Exactly how to do it. And it's found in verse 20. We go back to the story. And the, the verse 20 begins like this. So he got up and went to his father. Now, now this, listen to this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. There's the model. There's the way to be the father. 
And if you just look at it phrase by phrase, it's really quite simple. The first way that you reach uh, the lost is that you um, watch for the opportunity. And in my mind, I see the father every morning going out of his front door and standing there, and he's looking to see if his lost, rebellious son is going to come home. He's watching for an opportunity. And by the way, let me just insert this. That when the son came home, the father didn't judge him. The father didn't say, well, about time you showed up, you brought me so much embarrassment to my, to my friends and family. By the time you showed up, you got any of my money left? By the time you showed up, I can't believe what you did and the shame you've brought to me. No, none, none of that. None of that. When the father saw the son, the text said he saw him and then he ran to him. He had compassion for him. Man, I just wish that there was some way that we could learn how to live that in our lives. To see people around us as they really are, like my friend Rick of, a, of many, many years ago. If, if there was some way that we could get special glasses built, like sunglasses, but like x-ray vision glasses or some sort of weird kind of sci-fi glasses we could put on so that when we go throughout our day, we could see the need of every person around us. That'd be scary. Kind of like the ability to read minds, you know. But to walk through Fred Meyer in the produce department, and wear these special glasses and see that person standing there and they look perfectly fine, well-dressed, but with these glasses on, you could see that, that that person is going through deep, deep water and they're about ready to give up and they just need someone to say something kind to them. Special glasses. Those kinds of people, they, they're just, they, are, they are all around us, the dazed and confused that they're everywhere we, we look, and so we have to watch for opportunity. And then there's this idea that it says that he was filled with compassion for them. And we've got to, and I've suggested this already, but I'll say it again, we've got to fill our hearts up with compassion for people. And forget being the elder brother. Forget a sense of superiority. Forget this mindset that says, I'm glad I'm not like them. Or, I sure wish they knew their Bible better. Huh. No. Be filled with compassion for them. In other words, you be the father. See, that's the goal. For you to get to the place in your spiritual life where you're the walking embodiment of the father. You be, you be the father. And then it says this idea of this phrase, he ran to them. You know, the, 
We used to have this idea that if we build it, they will come. You know, we spend $5 million on a brand new building, that, that people that don't know there's a God that loves them, people that don't even know that God exists. Like if we build a $5 million building, people will say, oh, look, there's a $5 million building. Let's go check it out. Then they walk into the building and they go, oh, this is such a pretty building. I'm glad I came. That's just dumb. That, that's, you know, the, the idea of that if you build it, people will just show up. No, that's, man, forget that stuff. The father ran to the son, and we've got to go to people. We've, we've got to go to them and let them know that there is a, a God that loves them. You be the father. You be the father. And then this. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. You be the father to people that are outside of the faith. And you get some compassion and you go to them and you show interest in them and the interest in what they're going through. And then somehow you connect with them. You, you reach out and you touch them. Maybe not physically, uh, that might be inappropriate, but touch them with your heart. Touch them emotionally. Touch them spiritually. Let them know there's, there's a God that loves them. One of the churches that I did a long-term assignment at was in Mesa, Arizona. They had a huge, huge building and a huge campus and a huge monthly mortgage payment. <laughs> They'd gone from 600 down to, I think, 60 or 80 when I got there. And, they, and they, they lost it all. I mean, they, the, whole, the whole shooting match got repossessed. And that's, that's about the time I showed up. <laughs> Lucky them. And so, so there I was, and we began to work, and uh, God helped and got them stabilized and um, began to worship in a storefront in a strip mall. Really tiny, tiny space. And they hired a new pastor. And we've we got word now that that church is growing. And they've renamed the church. They used to be the first Baptist church of Mesa. And their claim to fame was that in the entire Phoenix, Mesa, metropolitan area, they were the oldest church. They were the first church historically ever started in that whole area. And that, that was their claim to fame, you know. And they hung on to that. They was really proud of that. It just always kept them looking backward. <laughs> backward. And so this new pastor came in, and he did something that I don't think I ever would have had the courage to do. He changed the name of the church. Woo! That took some guts. And he named the church The Connect. The Connect. This idea that we need to connect with people. We need to touch people. And let them know there's a God that loves them. And we got word now that they bought a defunct Walgreens. The whole store. And they're remodeling the whole store. Because they're growing. Why are they growing? Because they're connecting. <laughs> they're connecting people with the love of God. And so... That's what we need to do. 
you become the Father. I know that's hard for some of us to grasp and to, to get a hold of. Let me tell you about Howard. Howard was the patron saint of the last church where I was like, served as a traditional pastor. I was there 10 years. Howard was the man. I mean, Howard was about this tall. He was really, really old. He was suffering. He had suffered for about 10 years with cancer. And he was feeble. He was meek. He was mild. But guess what? He was the man. And I mean, he was the embodiment of Jesus Christ. He was the walking Jesus. And when that man would walk into the room, I mean, it, it, things would just light up. And it was Howard that brought that church along spiritually on his shoulders. Howard. And people knew, though, that he was, he was nearing the end of his fight with cancer. And people started saying, hey, what are we going to do when Howard dies? Howard's the one. What are we going to do when Howard dies? Guess what? Howard did die. And I got up the next Sunday and talked about Howard and how he was the man and about the concerns of what are we going to do? Howard's gone. And my challenge to them was, you be Howard. Huh? You be the one that reaches out. Howard was the kind of guy that if he heard that somebody had, had started a rumor about a pastor or was, was creating dissension in the church, he'd take him out for coffee or pull him uh, aside and chat with them. This quiet, unassuming man, he would say, um, you know, is it true that you... And then he would say this, we don't do that here. I mean, just like that, just with the love of God. We, we, don't, we don't do that here. So I told the congregation, I said, Howard's gone, we're going to miss him. But guess what? You be Howard. <laughs> you be Howard. You take up that role. And I don't know if that's easier for you to think you could be a Howard than you could be the Lord God Almighty. I, I don't know, whatever works for you. But we need to embrace this truth that eventually in our spiritual lives, we need to become the Father. And we need, to, we need to not do this, but we need to do this. And everywhere we go, we need to let people know there's a God that loves them. We need to let them know that without judging them. Just love them. Just love them. Stand with me and let me pray, and then the praise team is going to sing a, another song. Father, I'm, I'm very, very cognizant of the fact that this is another one of these sermons that's really easy to preach, but really hard to live. Help me to live like that. And I pray that you would help each person here this morning to live like that. Regardless of our age, help us to be the Father with wide open arms so that people will know there is a God that loves them.
May it be so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.